I greet you, dear people, in the precious name of Jesus, the one who came to heal the brokenhearted, the one who came to deliver the captives, the one who came to bring victory, to bring life. That's the one I greet you in this morning. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, we read this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. You realize that the context of of that passage is Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry he's standing there in the synagogue and he's quoting from the book of Isaiah not only was he spelling out the mission that he came to do and fulfill but it is also dear people our mission as well. We are to join with him in that work of, of bringing healing, bringing hope, bringing deliverance, walking alongside those who are struggling. I would like to preach another message on the theme of brokenness. We've looked at two subjects. Thus far on this theme, we started with the basis for the foundation of brokenness, and then we looked at the usefulness of brokenness, and this morning, we would like to consider the beauty of brokenness. I ask an interest in your prayers as I preach this, as I have prepared and preached these messages on brokenness, I have definitely felt a spiritual battle. It has not been an easy journey. You know, the devil is well aware that broken people are useful people. Broken people are powerful people. He also is aware that the more broken people are, the more powerless he is. And so this is spiritual battle, dear people. And when it comes to brokenness, there are few things that are as beautiful in the sight of God. You know, in our culture, broken things are despised. Broken things are thrown out. <laughs> we don't like something that's broken. We like things that are nice and new, and we want them to stay looking nice and new. Too oftentimes, flaws are viewed as embarrassing or problematic. If something gets broken, we are quick to consider replacing it, because in, in fact it's broken. And so we think that, well, it's time for a new one. That's how we think. 
But yet, we find in Scripture that some of the most valuable things to God are broken things. God uses broken things. God uses broken people to do His work. There's something, there's many things actually that broken people can do. In fact, that God can do through them that they could not do. In fact, that God could not do through them if they were not broken. And so, yes, brokenness is foundational to usefulness. But as we think about this thing of how our culture views broken things, I came across a fascinating article, and this was back a month or so ago. It was actually in one of our Sunday school papers. But this article talked about the Japanese art known as Kintsugi. I don't know how many of y'all have heard of Kintsugi. It was a new thing for me. But I would like to read a quote about this art. Kintsugi is the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery by mending the areas of breakage with lacquer mixed with gold, silver, or platinum. As a philosophy, it treats breakage and repair as part of the history of an object rather than something to disguise. Japanese aesthetics values marks of wear by the use of an object. In other words, they're saying that the more war it is, <laughs> the more value it has. That's what it's saying. This can be seen as a rationale for keeping an object around even after it has been broken, and as a justification of Kinzuki itself, highlighting the cracks and repairs as simply an event in the life of an object rather than allowing its service to end at the time of its damage or breakage. Not only is there no attempt to hide the damage, but the repair is literally illuminated. <laughs> I find this so interesting. And so, you know, according to this form of art, known as Kintsugi, the more broken the object is, the more gold seams it has, which makes it more valuable. fascinating. It's fascinating partly because it captures the thrust of Scripture on the subject of brokenness. That's what the Scripture says. Brokenness equals beauty and value. I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 14 for a text this morning. <coughs> Mark chapter 14 we would like to note an expression of brokenness. Now, this is an account that we find three different times in the Gospels. You can read this account in Matthew 26, and then, of course, here in Mark 14, and also in John chapter 12, the same account. 
obviously written by different people. Another interesting thing about this account is that we find this woman, who the account speaks of, Mary, we find her three different times in the Gospels. Of course, in this particular uh, story, this is one of those, but then we also find her in two other stories, accounts in the Gospels. But we find her three different times in the Gospels, and each time she is sitting at the feet of Jesus. What an example for each of us. A woman who we find sitting at the feet of Jesus each time we see her in Scripture. And so it's a picture of worship. Now, let me say, along with that, we know her sister Martha as one who was serving, as one who spent time in the kitchen, the one who had to do with the food, preparing. We could refer to her life as a life of work. We also know their brother Lazarus as one who Jesus rose from the dead. He had been dead for, what does the Bible say, four days? And Jesus came, raised him from the dead. And then, as we read in John chapter 12, many people turned to Jesus Christ. Many people believed Jesus Christ because of the testimony of Lazarus. One who had been dead and is now alive. And so we have Mary being an expression of worship. We have Martha as an expression of work. We have Lazarus as an expression of witness. Each has their rightful place. Let me say that the Christian life should be a beautiful combination of those three things. Worship, work, and witness. We find those in these three siblings. But we are focusing this morning on Mary. An expression not only of worship, but therefore brokenness. Follow along as I read Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment, of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and had been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always. And whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. 
She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Mary's action of breaking the box or breaking the jar appointment was symbolic of a couple things. First of all, within a week, Jesus would be broken on the cross of Calvary. But also, all those who choose to follow him must be willing to be broken as well. I want you to ponder this just a moment. I want you to picture in your mind a spiritual hero that you have. Think of someone who you really look up to. Maybe they're still alive today. Maybe they have passed on to glory. But think of someone, a person who you look up to in a spiritual sense. And in fact, inside you say, I would like to be like them. Chances are that that person knows what brokenness is all about. Chances are that that person has went through some very difficult experiences in life. Life has not been a bed of roses, you could say, for that person. But that person has been wounded, perhaps, in various ways, and has chosen to allow God to do His perfect work within them. They have not resisted that work, but they have opened themselves up to that work. And through that, God has made something beautiful out of them. You see, whether we admit it or not, we really like broken people. (laughs) Broken people are the best kind of people. Those are the people we look up to. Those are the people who make good friends. Those are the people who teach us the deepest lessons in life. Broken people. We're thinking this morning about brokenness. And like I mentioned, I'm uh, titling this message, The Beauty of Brokenness. And I take that actually from this text. In verse 6, Jesus said, She hath wrought a good work on me. The NIV reads it this way. She has done a beautiful thing to me. And so, for our time here this morning, I would like for us to draw three things from this passage. The first is the cost of brokenness. The second being the effect of brokenness. And the third, the legacy of brokenness. Let's begin by noting in this passage the cost of brokenness. We find this in verses 3 through 8. 3 through 8. There is a cost that comes along with brokenness. You know, generally speaking... 
beautiful things are costly, are they not? Think about that. Think about possessions. Think about the stuff of this world. Don't we pay more for the more beautiful things? You know, the really beautiful car, that's the one that costs more, right? You see a really beautiful car go down the road. You say, wow, that's a nice one. And your buddy will say, I bet that cost a pretty penny. You see, the things that are really beautiful, they're, we say, more valuable. They cost more. But also think about relationships. I think about a marriage relationship. Marriage relationships, and actually beautiful marriage relationships, don't just happen. They take work. They take time. And they are, I say they're costly. They're costly in that I have to give up myself. Each has to give up themselves for the good of the other. It is through that sacrificing of self that beauty arises in that relationship. I say specifically in a marriage relationship, but that's true in many relationships. The more death to self there is, the more beautiful the relationship. As I was thinking about that this morning there at my desk, there's a card sitting on my desk. And the front of that card says, growing together in faith and love is a beautiful thing. In fact, it was a, a card that my dear wife gave to me might have been for one of our anniversaries here some time ago. Growing together in faith and love is a beautiful thing. And I say, absolutely. I'm so blessed to experience that. But dear people, it doesn't happen easily. There's a lot of work that goes into that. And in fact, it has to happen on a regular basis. It goes much further than the I do on your wedding day. And it goes much further than the I love you's on your honeymoon, it goes much further than that. It's a daily commitment to one another. There is cost, I say, involved in beautiful things. Mary's expression of brokenness that we find in this passage was costly. And I want to note two different ways that it was costly. First of all, it was financially expensive, <laughs> very expensive. In fact, the scripture here says that it could have been sold, this ointment, which was a very expensive perfume, a very expensive ointment that was imported from India. It could have been sold, it says, for more than 300 pence. Now, some other translations say it could have been sold for more than a year's wages. Do you understand what it's saying there? This is no joke. This is no story in, you know, Winnie the Pooh or anything. This was an actual happening. <laughs> this ointment that Mary broke and poured out on Jesus was worth more than a year's wages. Now, 
I looked to see what the average wage is for a full-time worker in the United States today. The source that I read said over $48,000. Now, you might say, well, that's not, that doesn't seem like what I'm making. Well, I don't know what you're making, but I simply read that as one source, okay? It's the average, it said, for the full-time worker in the United States, $48,000 a year. That's an awful lot of money. Mary here gave richly to Jesus Christ. This brokenness, this expression of brokenness was costly. And I don't know if you would consider parting with $48,000 for Jesus Christ or not. But it's worth considering. Would you be willing to give up $48,000? Would you be willing to give up a year's wages? Maybe yours are more than that. Would you be willing to give it up because of your love and commitment to Jesus Christ? Would you be willing to say, I will give that up and I will go serve Jesus Christ on the mission field for nothing, for no reimbursement, because I want to give my life for Jesus Christ. He's worth that much to me. What is He worth to you? And so, Mary's expression of brokenness was costly because, first of all, it was expensive. And we can often get a reading of a man or woman's heart through their pocketbook by assessing their connection to their money, to what they have. Mary was willing to give it up. It clearly shows the depth of her love and commitment to Jesus. In other words, the, the principle that we are drawing from this is that there was no price too great. She was willing to give it all for Jesus. And so not only was this an expression of brokenness and not only was it costly, but along with that was the cost of criticism. The cost of criticism. You know, wholehearted allegiance, or we could say radical allegiance to Jesus Christ is often accompanied with criticism. So you give your all to Jesus. You go all in for Jesus Christ. You say, I'm going to be a radical believer. I'm going to do what's unpopular because of my love for Jesus. And you know what? Someone is probably going to make light of you. Someone's probably going to look at you funny. Someone's probably going to second guess you. Someone's probably going to misunderstand you. I say, wholehearted allegiance to Jesus Christ is often accompanied with criticism. But let me tell you, dear people, God will defend you. God will defend you. God shines upon people who give their all to Him. God empowers people and honors people who are willing to give it all for the sake of Jesus Christ. 
who say, there is no price too great. I will give it all to him. God honors people such as that. You know, as I thought about that, I thought of people in the Bible who poured themselves out to God and were scoffed by men, but defended and honored by God. Just a couple examples. Think of Hannah. We read about Hannah in 1 Samuel. Hannah was pleading for a son. She was barren. She could not have children. And oh, how she wanted a son. And there she was in the temple pleading in brokenness before God for a son. What was Eli's reaction to that? Eli thought she was drunk. Eli was thinking, oh no, not another drunk woman. What was God's response to that broken pleading? He blessed her with a son, with little Samuel, a man who became a powerful player in the work of God's people. Think of the publican standing all alone in the corner of the temple. And the scripture says that there he was in the corner of the temple. You could say it wasn't a pretty sight. Crying out to God, God be merciful to me a sinner. It wasn't necessarily fine-tuned words. It says he was beating his chest. He was in dismay over his sinfulness, over his unworthiness crying out to God for mercy, broken before God. And what was the attitude of the Pharisee? <laughs> Glad I'm not like he is. Untrained, unlearned, undressed. Glad I'm not like he is. But yet, what was God's response? God valued his worship over that of the Pharisees. I say, when you pour yourself out, dear people, in wholehearted allegiance to Jesus Christ, you may be, you may be misunderstood, you may be criticized, but God will defend you. God knows your heart. And I want to notice here the objection in our text. It was the ob objection that came through Judas and other of the disciples as well. Now, in John chapter 12, you can turn over that just a moment. Here in Mark 14, we don't have Judas mentioned. It says, and there were some that had indignation. But in John chapter 14, John says that one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, this is verse 4, Simon's son, which should betray him, said, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Okay, so Judas is here, and he is objecting. He is criticizing Mary's act of worship and brokenness. He goes on to say in verse 6, well, it says, This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. You get what that said? Judas was not really concerned about the poor. 
No, he wasn't. It said that Judas was the one who took care of the money. He was the one who held the money bag for the disciples, okay? But it also says that he used to dig into that. He used to help himself from, from time to time to the money that was in there. He was a thief. And so Judas was really hoping that she, <laughs> that she would have turned that money over to the disciples' treasury because by doing that, Judas could have snuck some. You see. Judas and the other disciples are criticizing her for her wholehearted allegiance to Jesus Christ. Back in Mark 14, we have then the response of Jesus. <laughs> I find this interesting how Jesus responded in verse 6. Let her alone. Sounds about like a parent, doesn't it, to their child. A child that's kind of being feisty with another one. Let her alone. That's how Jesus responded to Judas and the disciples. Let her alone. I see how Jesus defended her. Jesus stood behind her. And so brokenness is costly. Dear people, if brokenness is so costly, is it really worth it? Is brokenness really worth it? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want to note here what the Apostle Paul has to say about this. Perhaps you've heard it said before that your strength can become your weakness. Your strength can become your weakness. The Apostle Paul is saying here as he begins this chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he's talking about some visions that he had. God made some revelations to him, revealed some amazing things to him. And so he is talking about these visions that he has had. But then let's start at verse 7. We read, And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so this is what the Apostle Paul says then. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Be careful, your strength can become your weakness. And the Apostle Paul was bringing that out. Here perhaps God was giving him a certain strength in being able to understand some revelations of things to come. God was giving him some visions. And he says, God also along with that 
humbled me. Because he knew that there was the potential that, that I would allow that to make me proud. That here God is, God is allowing something in my life, and actually he's giving me something that I can excel in. But yet it has the potential to puff me up, to make me proud. And so, along with that, God brought this thorn in the flesh as we read here, as a means of keeping the Apostle Paul humble. And the Apostle Paul says that he cried out to God at least three times that he could be delivered from this. And God's response was, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Isn't that something? Your strength can become your weakness. But here the Apostle Paul said that God works in this way, that through our weakness, we can be strong. It's interesting. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Is brokenness really worth it? If brokenness is so costly, is it really worth it? I say absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, it's costly, but the blessings outweigh the cost. Let's note the effect. The effect of brokenness that we see in this story. I would like to turn to the account as we read it in John chapter 12. For this point, John chapter 12, verse 3, we read this. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. I want you to hear that again. We're talking here about the effect of brokenness. It says that the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Let's think about odor for just a moment. You might think this is is a bit funny. But there is an interesting parallel in this. You know, odor is a very powerful thing. Or you could say fragrance or you could say aroma, or you could say smell, whatever makes sense to you. (laughs) But this thing of odor is a powerful thing. You know, odor typically triggers a response from us. It's either attractive (laughs) or it's repulsive, but it triggers some kind of a response in us. So typically, if you would walk into the bakery, you would go, hmm, smells good. In fact, people say, oh, wow, just smelling this makes me gain 10 pounds. (laughs) Now, that's not true, of course. but And so there are some smells that are very attractive. There are also other smells that are more repulsive. You know, when we drive up to Harrisonburg, and for those of you who are from the Harrisonburg area that are listening to me this morning, please do not take offense. But... When we drive up to Harrisonburg on a Sunday morning, 
We know we have reached Harrisonburg when we hit the Bridgewater Mount Crawford exit because the smell changes. <laughs> All of a sudden, there's a smell of something other than a bakery. <laughs> that smell has told us that we are almost there. And so that is a smell, I'm saying, that is a more repulsive smell, at least to us. And so odor is a powerful thing. Odor also sometimes triggers memories in us. For example, if I smell cinnamon or nutmeg, I often think of Thanksgiving. It smells like pumpkin pie. It makes me think of Thanksgiving. Or if I smell a certain perfume, my mind goes to my wife. <laughs> and even more specifically, it might go to my girlfriend from years ago, which was Kimberly Whitmer, which, by the way, happens to still be my wife. <laughs> but it's that smell that triggers a memory. I think back. Smell does that. Smell also, odor also, has a lingering effect. Someone has said that, that odor often comes early and stays late. <laughs> That's one way to put it, but... Odor has a lingering effect. In other words, take for example, maybe you smelled someone that didn't smell so great, or you smelled someone that smelled rather pleasing. After that person has left, you may still smell them, or that you smell that they were here for a while. But along with that, we could say that odor marks us. I use those, those examples, I use that illustration to help us think about this in a spiritual sense. Because the same is true spiritually. Our life exudes a certain fragrance. Our disposition of life has an aroma that marks us. In other words, we are known and we are remembered by that, by our disposition of life. There's a fragrance. And so I ask you this morning, what fragrance is pouring from your life? Is it, a, is it a fragrance that is attractive? Or is it a fragrance that is repulsive? Because in fact, there is a fragrance that is coming from your life. There is. Brokenness has a beautiful fragrance. Why? Because it is the fragrance of Jesus Christ. Brokenness is an expression of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was broken for us. He was the example, the greatest example of brokenness. And as we allow God to do that work of brokenness within us, we then have the fragrance of Jesus Christ. And I want us to note this. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. This is beautiful. Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 1 and 2. We have the example of Jesus and then the admonition or the challenge for us as believers to walk in the same. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself, or another wording would be, and hath given himself up 
as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. I miss the words, for us. (laughs) He has given himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Isn't that beautiful? The example of brokenness that we find in Jesus Christ, and then the Apostle Paul says, I want you to be like Jesus Christ in that way. In fact, I want you to smell like him. I want you to have the fragrance of Jesus Christ in your life. It's the fragrance of brokenness. It's the fragrance of one who has given self up in order to fully follow the Spirit. Now, right on the heels of that, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 And look at verses 14 through 16. We read, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest, or makes obvious, the savor of his knowledge, or the fragrance of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. Now, I'm not going to take the time to dig all into that and and explain it precisely, but I want you to, to just catch the thrust of being the savor of Christ being the aroma of Christ to others. In other words, our life as a believer should be exuding a fragrance that is the same as Jesus Christ. In other words, when we are around people, they should say, you know what? It's it's like Jesus was here. When that person is around, I'm drawn closer to Jesus. It feels like the presence of Jesus through the way they relate to me, through the way that they relate to others, through their actions, through their words, through their attitudes. I've been with Jesus when this person has been here. You see? That doesn't happen unless a person is allowing the process of brokenness to work within them. And so the Apostle Paul says, that God causes us to triumph in Christ and he spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him, but it happens through us, through us. As we think about that, I would like to read an excerpt from the book Worship 365 written by David Edwards. It's a beautiful book about worship being a part of life, or not a part of life, being life itself, being a a response to the mercies of God. This is what he says, and it's in connection with this story here, falling from John chapter 12. But he says, the Bible doesn't give a continuation of this story, But I wonder if it went something like this. 
After the crucifixion, Lazarus, Mar Lazarus, Martha, and Mary returned home overcome with grief. They were absolutely sickened by what they had just witnessed on Golgotha. The bloodied body of their Lord, Savior, and best friend was placed in a tomb not unlike the one Lazarus had lain in a few weeks before. Their conversation was full of thoughts like, Oh, remember the time he healed that little girl? Oh, oh, I remember the time he was teaching in the field beside the brook. I'll never forget his face when I ran out to meet him the day he brought you back to life, Lazarus. Amidst the memories and tears, Martha got up to make everyone something to eat as each returned to his or, to his or her own private thoughts. And then there it was again, that smell, that fragrance. That sweet perfume that still stained the floor, wafting through the air, filling their senses. It was the scent of worship. It was the perfume of sacrifice. It was the aroma of total submission. It was the fragrance of being broken and spilled out. Oh, to have that fragrance in my house the whole year through. To have that fragrance permeate everything that I am about to have that sweet perfume released in my life again and again as I fall at His feet and worship Him. Loving Jesus must be my first priority. I want to be broken and spilled out. That's a beautiful, a beautiful perspective of this story. The effect of brokenness. Dear people, we need homes that are broken today. We need homes where the fragrance of brokenness permeates each corner of the room, where the house is filled with the aroma of brokenness, where each child, where each parent is allowing the work of God to be done in their life. And through that work, there is the fragrance of brokenness. We need mommies and daddies who are broken before God. We need mommies and daddies who are living in love and submission to one another, are broken before one another. We need mommies and daddies who are broken in their relationships with their children. And yes, we need children who are broken in their relationships to their parents. But I say, oh, for homes that are permeated with the aroma of brokenness. Let's note yet the legacy of brokenness. And I go back to our text in Mark chapter 14. The legacy of brokenness. And we find this in verses 8 and 9. But we often define legacy as something of value that our ancestors have left us. Or you could say something of value that those who have gone before us have left us. Something of value. So as I think about the Good family, I say the Henry Good family left a legacy of singing among other things, but they left a legacy of singing. I say that Grandma Good 
left a legacy of thankfulness, something of value that she left those of us who came behind her. I think of our dear brother Gerald as one who left a legacy of personal conviction for the Word of God and a sincere interest in the lives of others. At least, that's what speaks to me oftentimes when I think of him. He left a legacy of those things. But you could say that a legacy is what is remembered and what lingers long after that person is gone. And so with that, I say, let us notice Mary's legacy. Verse 8, we read, She hath done what she could. Such simple words, and yet what a powerful statement. She has done what she could. I mean, what more could be said? What a legacy. And certainly there are many things that she could have done in life. There are many things that maybe she could have filled her time with. But once again, where do we remember Mary in the three accounts? We find her sitting at the feet of Jesus each time we find her in Scripture. And the Scripture said, in fact, Jesus said about her, she has done what she could. Dear people, oh, to come to the end of our life and realize that we have not done what we could have done. Can you imagine the tragedy of that? Oh, to come to the end of our life and know that as far as our relationship with Jesus Christ, we have not done what we could have done. Oh, we have done many things. We have chosen to do many things. We have made many choices. We have filled our life with many things. But we know in our heart that we have not done all that we could have done when it comes to knowing Jesus Christ. You know, one day we will stand before the Father and we will give an account for the things that we have done. The Scripture says that. And yet the all-important question in that day will be, what have you done with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? It's a sobering thought for us to ponder. And so the Apostle James says, To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And I say this kindly, with compassion to, to each of you, but there are those within the sound of my voice who know what to do and yet are not doing it. And I just say to you, you're standing on dangerous ground. You're standing on dangerous ground. And my challenge to you this morning is, what we read in the book of Isaiah, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his 
thoughts and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. That's my call to you this morning. Mary's legacy is stated in she hath done what she could. But along with that, in verse 9, we read this. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. And how true that is. <laughs> Here it is, a couple thousand years later, and we're reading this account, and we're remembering Mary because of her worship, because of her brokenness before Jesus Christ. And in fact, Jesus said that wherever the gospel is preached, in the whole world, she will be remembered because of this. That fragrance of brokenness is a legacy down through the ages to millions of people. Yes, even to you and me today. We remember Mary as one who couldn't get enough of Jesus. She was always found sitting at the feet of Jesus. She wanted to learn more. That's how much Jesus meant to her. Jesus was a priority in her life. We remember Mary as one who was willing to give everything. And that's the principle there in the amount of the expense there of that perfume that she poured out. She was willing to give it all. She gave it all up because of her selfless love and commitment to Jesus Christ. Mary left a legacy of brokenness. What about you? What marks your life today? And what, you, what will your legacy be tomorrow? How will you be remembered? You see, you will be remembered in some way or other. Will your life be remembered because of the beautiful fragrance of brokenness? Or will it be remembered for the things that you had or the hobbies that you were gung-ho about? Or the pursuits of financial wealth? You see, one day when you stand before the Father, all of those things will be blown away like chaff. And what really matters, what is left, will be what have you done with Jesus? Really, who are you? In conclusion, I would like to remind us about the wounded oyster. Have you ever heard of the wounded oyster? I'd like to read a little excerpt from a devotional about this. And this brings some thoughts for us to ponder as we conclude this theme of brokenness. It reads this way. 
Pearls are formed as a result of pain. After foreign or undesirable elements like parasites or a grain of sand find their way inside the oyster. A lustrous substance called nacre is found inside the shell. When a grain of sand penetrates the shell, the nacre cells begin to work and cover the grain of sand with layers and more layers to protect the helpless body of the oyster. As a result, a beautiful pearl begins to form. And listen to this. There is no way for an oyster that has never been wounded to produce pearls. Because a pearl is a wound that has healed. I just want to read that one more time before I move on. There is no way for an oyster that has never been wounded to produce pearls. Because a pearl is a wound that has been healed. The same can happen with us. Have you ever been hurt by someone's harsh words? Have you ever been accused of saying something that you never said? Have your ideas been rejected or misunderstood? Have you ever suffered because of prejudice? Have you ever been treated with indifference? So, produce a pearl. Cover your sorrows with several layers of love. Unfortunately, very few are interested in showing this kind of effort. Most people just learn how to cultivate resentment and sorrow, leaving their wounds open and nourishing them with various types of emotions, and therefore not allowing them to heal. What we often see are empty oysters, not because they have not been wounded, but because they are unable to forgive, understand, and transform their pain into love. The story of the wounded oyster. Dear people, I wonder what you are doing with your wounds. I wonder what you are doing with your trials, with your heartaches, with your hurts. You see, how you respond to those things in life means everything to the effectiveness of the process. You want to come out a pearl? Then, dear people, learn to surrender your will. Learn to surrender to Jesus Christ. Let him be the Lord of your life. Trust him that truly he works things out for good. No, it doesn't always feel like that, but can we trust him in that? Allow him to do that work of brokenness within us. Respond with faith and trust in his word, in his plan. And out of that comes beauty. Out of that comes something of great value. Reminded of the course of a song that I'll just close with this morning. You see, brokenness is all about putting your all on the altar. It's about giving up yourself and saying yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the song says, Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? 
your heart that the Spirit control, you will only be blessed and find peace and sweet rest until all on the altar is laid. That's an expression of brokenness. And through that, God is glorified. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, you have been so faithful once again in teaching us from your word. Oh, Father, we have so far to grow in our lives. We confess that we need more brokenness to happen within us. And Father, I confess that too often I have resisted that work. I have not responded in a proper way to the things that you have allowed in my life. And I confess that this morning. Father, I want to trust you more. I want to respond with love in hurtful situations. Father, thank you for the example of Jesus Christ, the one who was broken for us, the one who then calls us to walk in his steps and to exude the aroma of brokenness in our lives. Thank you as well for the example of Mary from many years ago, the example of wholehearted allegiance, for the example of giving up everything in order to know you better. And Father, I pray that as we have gathered here this morning, that we can be drawn closer to you. Father, I pray for each dear people who is listening, whether across the telephone lines or online this morning, or here in person this morning. I just pray that you would work in each life. Father, we want to be people that you can use. We want to be people that one day hear that word, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And so, Father, help us to be faithful. We pray your blessing upon each one as we go from here and as we go about our week. May you be seen within us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, dear people, for being a part of this service this morning. I wish you God's richest blessing. Let us be people, as we go from here, that have the aroma of Jesus Christ. This concludes our service this morning. Until we meet again, God be with you.